Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR, talent, and leadership communities to you. For more episodes and the latest articles covering what's new in the world of work, visit hrgazette.com, subscribe and follow us on social media. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum, and my returning super awesome guest today is Mervyn Dinan, analyst, influencer, author, and commentator on HR, talent, and work tech trends. Based in London, UK, Mervyn partners with HR and recruitment technology businesses to create thought leadership reports that document the emerging trends impacting the hiring, retention, development, and engagement of talent. Hey, Mervyn, welcome back to the show. Hello, Bill. Thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure. Well, we got you back because you're a clever guy and you say lots of interesting things and our listeners loved it last time. So we, we wanted more of the same, but perhaps a little bit different. Um, so maybe we'll skip the intro today uh, because I, I, I direct folk to the previous conversation that you and I had. And instead, we're going to get straight into it. Uh, your latest book is called Digital Talent. How do you define that you, sorry, how do you define that? And what are the key traits that digital talent exhibits? Um, thank you, Bill. Uh, the, the, the book's called Digital Talent, as you've said. Um, and I think what we were looking to do with that was to, having written a book where I think you and I might have discussed previously about how the various processes, the talent journey, if, if you like, were, um, were evolving and changing uh, through tech. Uh, what we saw was a, a period of accelerated digital transformation. Uh, and interestingly, started writing the book in uh, l- uh, late 2019, early 2020. Of course, then the pandemic hit. So um, what, what we then saw was uh, it, everything went on pause for a bit. But what we then saw was, was you know, this period of accelerated digital transformation. So I suppose the, the concept of kind of talent, pretty much all talent nowadays in the workplace is some form of digital talent. Um, and it, it, what's important is we don't necessarily prepare people for that. So, you know, a digital transformation is an organizational change, but we don't really uh, prepare people for that and support them as we would do with a normal organizational change. Uh, the assumption is um, as, as new, new tech comes into the business, people will embrace it and love it. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the research that I was involved with was indicating that you know, that maybe wasn't the case. Um, so in terms of analyzing you know, digital talent itself, what what does it mean? Um, I suppose the first point is it, 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 that they have intellectual curiosity. Uh, it's they, 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 they know the jobs are changing. They know the world of work is evolving. And there's this keen interest in, in learning, I suppose, how how their jobs are evolving, how what skills they need, and this this kind of what, uh, desire to learn, you know, access to learning and knowledge as and when they need it, as opposed to, you know, at times set by the business. Um, we've known for quite a long time that uh, the main reason somebody will join a company and stay is if they feel they've got the chance to to develop, learn, and progress, and learn learn new skills. Um, and that's kind of digital talent very much embraces that. There's always this thirst for knowledge um, and this access to what they need to know as and when they need it. Um, previously, as well, we, we've often talked about kind of management and direction, you know, performance management and, and, and leaders, yeah, I suppose, direct their, their, their business areas. 
But when we kind of was doing research amongst the employers themselves, uh, what came through was was what they really need is like support, support and enablement is what we refer to it as. Um, that 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 kind of they want to go and find and develop themselves, and what they need from us is the support and encouragement, and if you like the platform, the environment to be able to develop and grow, um, and connection. Connection came out as a big important point uh, that it, it's kind of yeah, the 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 connection between peers between colleagues. Um, it is highly important to them. In fact, there's a Josh Burst Bursting quote uh, about learning, about a culture of learning, where it's kind of people don't need more content, they need more connection. Um, and that's something we found, found as well. We'll be right back to this conversation after this very brief message from today's sponsoring partner. Genos North America is a team of change makers using emotional intelligence to enhance how we connect communicate and collaborate at work. Transforming these essential people skills at work also makes a difference to people's relationships outside of the workplace. People become better parents, partners, siblings and friends. Learn more at genosnorthamerica.com. Well, I hope people do need more content, Mervyn. Otherwise, what's the point? You know, we're, we're, we're pumping out two to four HR chat episodes a week over here, hoping to to engage and educate the masses. So I uh, love most of your answer there, but um, you may have lost me. You may have lost me right at the end, sir. Jeez. No, but this, this is connection, Bill. This is you're connecting with them. You know, it's, it's your voice. It's my voice. It's kind of it's a new way of learning and it, it connects them with people. You know, so it's kind of it. it yeah, there is a, a roundabout way. I'm including podcasts in that. OK, all right. Few. Uh, <laughs> so so you write about the importance of the digital talent experience, Mervyn, at a time when the great resignation has highlighted to most businesses why they need to improve the overall employee experience, uh, most businesses, I hope pretty much all businesses get that now. Uh, what would you say are the key areas that the, they need to focus on to, to achieve that, to, to ensure that they do have an attractive employer brand and that the experience is great and people want to stay with them and they can attract new talent and so forth? Um, I think that the, 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 the important point businesses need to understand is that the employee experience isn't something they design and create. It, it's kind of, it's what the employee experiences. Um, and I think most research, I've seen uh, research from OC Tanner, I've seen research from Deloitte, um, that, you know, for you know, pretty much 90% plus of employees, they define the employee experience as their everyday experience at work. Um, and I think it's, it's important to understand that, that it's kind of, you know, we might set up systems, we might arrange teams, we might bring in tech, which we think is really great for the people. But if they have a poor experience of it, it it's kind of it, it doesn't matter what our intentions were. Um, and I think that there's a lot of uh, what I would uh, always tell people uh, to concentrate on. Uh, and I've written quite a bit about this is the micro experiences. So it's not so much the overall experience. It's, it's each day, each hour at work is, is made up of lots of small micro experiences. Uh, and there's some work being done on that in the US, Drs. Chip and Dan Heath, about the power of moments uh, and how kind of, it, you know, a, a negative experience might make somebody feel very negative. 
but it doesn't last for a long period where a positive experience might not um uh, the, the 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 positive feeling might not be as great as the negative but it lasts for longer so a lot of the advice that i is in the book and that i give uh, people when i speak is to focus on maximizing the positives as opposed to we spend our time trying to iron out the negatives and sometimes we just have to accept that they 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 will happen uh, and they're outside our control and to focus on as many i suppose positive interactions as you can We'll be right back to this conversation after this very brief message from today's sponsoring partner. Genos North America is a team of change makers using emotional intelligence to enhance how we connect, communicate and collaborate at work. Transforming these essential people skills at work also makes a difference to people's relationships outside of the workplace. People become better parents, partners, siblings and friends. Learn more at genosnorthamerica.com. You and I were chatting ahead of ahead of uh, hitting record today. We we're talking a little bit about your involvement at Recfest, where you gave a presentation uh, about the importance of personalization in the candidate and employee experience. How do you see it evolving, Mervyn? Um, personalization, I think, is if you like, is the next step. It, it it's it's what people experience uh, in their day-to-day lives as, as consumers, uh, be it uh, you know buying or just consuming, you know the, the kind of you know entertainment, music, or whatever. It's that they expect, you know, they they expect it to be personalised for them. Um, and quite often, the I suppose when we're talking the overall talent experience, a lot of the time we're talking about candidate experience and employee experience. And quite often that that isn't personalized. Um, I mean, nearly everybody you speak to, you just have to look through Reddit recruiting hell or something. The number of people who get emails, you know, dear first name, last name, uh, you know, things like that. Uh, People need something that I think is personalized. They need the the experience is important. So, you know, 86 percent say that the way they're treated uh, during application and interview will impact their decision on whether to join, you know, and over half uh, of people will not apply to a company, even if they're interested in it or the role, if they see negative online reviews. Um, so these things are very important to people. And it's the, you know, whilst we, we try and deliver great experiences as candidates and employees, it, I suppose it, it's understanding the personalization, the micro experiences, as I said before, that's really important, the moments that matter. It's understanding the moments that matter to employees and candidates. And it's 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 about the experience as opposed to the process. So a lot of organizations uh, look at the, I suppose, the process they've designed. I know it's quite a mechanical expression to say the process, but how you go through the hiring phase, how you go through the talent development phase, uh, it's, it's a bit of a process. And what the individual employee wants is something that's very personal to them. So it's like this seamless integration. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, The next question uh, (laughs) is one that uh, Mervyn only announced earlier today, like a couple of hours ago. Uh, (laughs) So so, um, this this is going to be, you know, fairly fresh to to our listeners. There is a delay between when um, when we 
we record and when we release our episodes, uh, of course. But still, uh, I'm, I'm pretty proud to get this one in there, uh, given that Bourbon only shouted about it just a few hours ago. So you, you announced on LinkedIn that you recently partnered with Recruity, Mervin, um, yep. and that was to take a look at unbiased hiring and how we can build more diverse recruitment teams. Uh, so maybe you can tell us what the findings were and and maybe a little bit about how we can eliminate bias from the hiring process to help build a more diverse workforce. Um, that's that, as you say, is quite hot off the press, uh, Bill. Uh, it only went live. Uh, I think Recruity first posted it yesterday, but I've only put it live today. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of research in recent years. We know about the the, the commercial advantages of having a diverse workforce. Um, we know what they are, you know, McKinsey's have done research into this as well, you know, how more profitable they are, um, diverse workforces, Yale did some stuff, um, found that, 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 you know, even scientists who are trained to be objective, uh, had biases. They were more like, you know, a mix of male and female scientists were, 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 were more likely to hire men and more likely to consider men to be more competent, even though their skills and achievements might be exactly the same. Uh, so it, it's kind of we 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 know it's there, uh, and we need to I think find a, a, a way to approach hiring in an unbiased way. Um, and what I see companies beginning to do is to put is to put together hiring teams that themselves are quite diverse, so that you don't have. You know, it's, it's not the, 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 the highest paid person's perspective or, you know, it's not kind of, you know, we have three hiring managers involved here. And guess what? They're all kind of, you know, from the same background, same length of time here. You know, it's, it's, it's this very different. So I think that it, it, it's it's about fairer. It's about kind of, you know, reducing human bias by, I suppose, having more people involved. This doesn't mean that that you drag the recruitment process on. Um, it's just using, I suppose, the input, the perspectives of different people, using AI whenever you can um, to try and get different perspectives uh, to hire best fit candidates. Uh, maybe, you know, some I interviewed two or three uh, organizations and one of them was to do uh, with, with game based assessments uh, to identify the real potential. Um, uh, another one was to do with with. Uh, um, uh, hiring on based on personality um, and using uh, anonymization features in in the recruitment process. So I think it's 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 important to create as diverse a hiring team as you can, and that interviewers can challenge each other. So you know you might get three or four people involved in it, and then you can have the discussion. Kind of you know why did you feel that? You know did you did you see this this side of it or that perspective? And I think that's what's great for the future. I know it sounds complicated to uh, bring together diverse hiring teams for, for each major piece of hiring, but I think it's something that will become the norm. Okay, so there's a way then to bring in um, more a, a larger group, a more diverse group too, of folks who can be involved within that hiring process, you know, um, uh, che- checking uh, the candidate at an earlier stage because usually in the earlier stages uh, it's you know maybe what the maybe the hiring manager or a, a TA professional and an outside recruitment uh, TA expert and then it goes through stages where you get you know the, the second round might be might involve 
two interviewers, a third round, maybe two, three, four. You might meet a couple of members of the team. So to, to achieve this, Mervyn, are you saying that we need more people involved in the recruitment stages near near the beginning? I, I don't know that we necessarily need more people because then it becomes kind of, you know, recruitment by committee. And it's kind of, you know, we need a, a quorum at each stage and we need a, you know, a consensus at each stage. I think it's just when we're coming down to, I suppose, the final interviews, I suppose, a final choice. Yeah, this obviously, you know, what I'm writing about, uh, you know, well, I'll take it for granted that you know, we have have checked our recruitment processes to make sure they're not biased in terms of the language we use, in terms of making application open to everybody and, and those kind of things that I think most organisations now do so that they're not filtering out good people who maybe don't fit certain criteria that might never be that important to the role they do anyway. Um, but I think when it comes down to the decision time, that's when you need possibly, uh, I say it's not a committee, I don't mean like there's a dozen people involved in this decision, but you just need a, a, a I suppose, a team of interviewers who are, are, you won't get groupthink. So you have people, maybe a slightly diverse little group of interviewers who will then challenge each other um, to try and ensure that, that I suppose, there's no bias. You know, I like that person because we went to the same university, that kind of thing, or that person is like me. I was like that person at that stage in their career, and therefore I'm predisposed to, to kind of you know think that they'd be great here, kind of thing. So I suppose you know it, there's quite a mix of bias. It can be diversity in terms of you know gender, ethnicity, age, uh, um, and stuff, but it also can be just just I suppose the the the, the bias in in how we we uh, I suppose perceive others. Let's talk about a bit of research that you did a while ago. OK, uh, yeah. so yes. earlier this year, <laughs> earlier this year, you were involved in research into corporate well-being initiatives. Uh, can you take a minute or two now and, and tell us how well do you think businesses support their employees' well-being and maybe what are some of the best approaches or interventions that you've seen? Um, I think that this is... Uh, uh, currently a topic which is very top of mind for most organizations i know that the discussions i've had recently uh, at various events now we are back at in-person events uh have led me to think that this is being taken more seriously that people know that organizations know they need to support uh, their people's well-being um certainly there was some stuff from linkedin and i i'll have to think off the top of my head now uh about the increase in the number of posts uh mentioning well-being uh, an increase in in applications to job adverts that that mention it as well. Um, I think that I mean what the research found is is uh, what did people do early in the pandemic and how was that how are they planning to change it for I suppose post pandemic twenty twenty two and beyond. Um, and I think because the pandemic was sudden, it was a health uh, pandemic. It was very personal to individuals. Um, it, what, what most organisations were doing uh, was just keeping in touch. So people suddenly were working from home. They weren't coming into a, 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 a space altogether. And there were these daily check-ins, uh, daily check-ins with managers, supervisors, just calling people, just checking in. How are they doing? Um, you know, how are they feeling? You know, is there anything they need? Is there any support they need? That kind of thing. Um, and then you found that there were kind of... Uh, 
quite regular. As I think that the, a lot of people in lockdown uh, and uh, found that uh, when they were split, split from their friends, they did things like you know use use the house party app, start getting together on a regular basis. Um, and I think that what I found from uh, running some round tables is organisations were doing this as well. So colleagues in a team who suddenly weren't seeing each other uh were getting together over you know a, a coffee zoom for half an hour swapping stories of their lives it could be recipes could be their pets you know just just recreating the water cooler moments if you know what i mean um i think one of the things that uh coming out of that that companies have been investing in is this this um kind of approach of of training or, or uh, um, helping managers to become, uh, the expression is mental health first aiders. Because uh, quite often we're not best placed to be able to identify in other people, particularly ones we know well, um, when they might be struggling, when they might need a little bit of help and support. Um, people aren't always that that open about it, particularly in a work environment, they won't want to be. And so certainly a number of companies, when we were talking about what people wanted to do moving forward was this investment in 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 helping uh, managers senior people to become as i say mental health first aiders being able to just understand when somebody might need a little bit of help and support might be struggling a bit but doesn't want to say um and certainly i delivered a presentation to um, heads of ta uh, talent acquisition uh, a couple of months ago and loads of them afterwards came up and said we've identified that you know we 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 just kind of carried on as normal just doing it over the phone and over zoom and stuff without realizing that people might have needed more support um one of the interesting things was that we were looking at different types of well-being and how important companies thought they were at the beginning and um how important they were moving forward and kind of mental well-being uh, emotional and physical well-being was seen as hugely important the one that had changed was intellectual well-being uh which at the beginning of the pandemic people admitted they, they didn't see as important as kind of you know mental well-being uh, and personal support but moving forward it was joint most important or seen as the joint most important form of well-being to invest in uh, alongside me mental well-being. So I think there is a recognition, uh, a little bit like I said earlier about digital talent with the intellectual curiosity and stuff. There is this, this I think, recognition that our people do want to learn, they do want to know, and, and you know, that they, they need the support, I suppose, to uh, uh, as a learn and develop their knowledge and their skills and capabilities. Okay, thank you, Mervyn. Mervyn, we're coming towards the end of this chit chat already. Um, but you and I were before hitting record conspiring to find other ways to record conversations together very soon. So I'm sure we would be back together before we know it, listeners. Um, before we do wrap up for today, two more questions for you. Uh, the next one's a biggie, but I'm going to challenge you to answer in 60 seconds or less. Uh, <laughs> just, just because uh, I mean, you don't know me well, Bill, do you? <laughs> <laughs> 60 minutes and, and our listeners, well our listeners like these interviews tight here now so in know, 60 seconds or less sir here we go um given a possible recession mervyn uh what would it what are your what are your predictions for the labor market in the uk and and elsewhere uh, in 2023 and um just before you answer you know let, let me just preface by saying this is if it happens it's going to be an incredibly unusual recession okay go 
Okay, uh, I think there will be a recession. Um, I think that it will be an unusual one because we, we it will be a skilled short recession because we certainly in the UK, uh, we can't fill the jobs we have. Uh, there aren't enough people here. Um, or there, aren't, there aren't enough people ready to be trained up. Uh, during the, the great resignation, as it's called, we've seen people exit the workforce because they've been in a position to do so. Um, so I think uh, there will be problems. I think that uh, in a recession, we might see companies investing more in technology and maybe uh, things like AI and, and finding ways to maybe um, overcome the fact that they can't find the skills and the people they need. I would completely agree with that. That was extremely articulate. It was well under 60 seconds. Uh, Mervyn, you're invited back to do a third interview on the HR Chat Show. <laughs> um, before we do wrap up for today, so how can our listeners connect with and learn more about you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn as Mervyn Dinan. Nobody else has that name. I'm the only one, as far as I'm aware. Uh, or on Twitter, at Mervyn Dinan. Um, I mean, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and stuff. I don't really do any work kind of work related stuff on that. Anybody is welcome to email me at mervindinan at gmail.com. And I'm regularly sharing through those various platforms, uh, you know, what I'm working on and, and kind of my latest research and stuff. Excellent. Mervyn, uh, you are a gentleman. I always enjoy a chance getting to chat with you. So um, uh, for today, thank you very much for being my guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Bill, it's been a pleasure. Thank and you for having me. Thank you. Yeah, and you batted away those those extra tough questions. So um, even more respect to you, sir. Um, and listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Chat Podcast. There are hundreds of conversations with business experts available for free on the HR Gazette website, Apple, Spotify, and all the main platforms. And remember to like, subscribe, and follow us on social media.